This is episode 84 of the Rising Man podcast with Ben Goreski. When everything seems like an uphill struggle, just think of the view from the top. Greetings, Rising Man fam. I am your host, Jetty Azuma, here on the Rising Man podcast, the show that doubles as my personal research experiment into the questions, what does it mean to be a man and how do we become the men we've always wanted to be? Before I introduce our guests for today, let's talk about men expressing ourselves. How many of us learned that expressing emotion is a bad thing? How many of us believe that our anger is destructive and dangerous? How many of us are walking around with rage bombs strapped to our chest because we've suppressed our voices for so long? It's time for us men to express ourselves and to do so in powerful, constructive ways. September 7th here in Los Angeles is our Call of the Warrior event for the first time ever. We're going to be on the beach in Santa Monica for this one day event, diving deep into the pain, the grief that we hide from the world, and accessing this power and expressing it together as brothers. My brother, Leon Ruri, is coming all the way from Australia to teach us how we can harness this energy and express ourselves by performing the haka, a ceremonial war dance of the Maori people. And it's going to be an incredible, incredible, incredible day. We're going to culminate the day by performing the haka together as a collective of men over at the Santa Monica Pier. So if you're not a man and you want to witness this, be there at six o'clock on September 7th over at the Santa Monica Pier. If you're a man and you want to be a part of this, make sure you register right now head over to rise.jediazuma.com slash warrior and get your ticket right now all right because they're gonna go all right my guest for today is none other than ben goreski ben is a men's coach a podcaster and a leader in men's group community called the samurai brotherhood he specializes in addiction recovery men's work conscious relationship work and shadow work his podcast is called the evolving man podcast and my man ben has a wealth of wisdom to share here on the show with us in this episode we talked about the root cause behind all addictions and how community and a safe space to express one's battle with addiction is actually the cure we talked about why so many people feel shame around addiction we discussed the astronomical rates of male suicide and why that becomes a natural choice for people who have run out of other options we spoke about rediscovering the village as a way to end loneliness depression and other causes for addictive behavior and how men learn to be their best selves from other men without further ado ben goreski Right, then Rising Man family, I got another special guest, another amazing man here on the show today, coming in live from Vancouver, Canada, my man Ben Goreski. Did I say that right, Goreski? Yeah, you said it right. Good good work, man. Thanks. Awesome, man. Thanks for being here. Yeah, really, really great to be on the show, Jetty. I'm, I'm stoked. I love the energy that you're putting out, and you're doing a lot in the world right now, and I see you as a warrior of the light, and, and I'm excited to be on your show and have a digital cup of coffee together. <laughs> Yes, man. Yes. And I'm also very fascinated to hear more about the what the landscape of men's work looks like for you guys, especially way up there in Canada. I know that it's expanding quite a bit up there. So I'm really fascinated about the work that you're doing with the Samurai Brotherhood and, and also some of the work that you're doing on your own in your life. So before we jump into all that good stuff, let me ask you this question. What is the difference between a boy and a man? You know, I think 
one of my mentors said it best that the mark of a man is that he's in service to his community. And I really think there's something to that. You know, when you're in boy consciousness, you're looking out for yourself. You're trying to make things work for yourself. You're just trying to get yours, right? And boy consciousness is also a lot about being given to, receiving. Like, please provide this for me. Please save me from this crisis that I'm in. Spoon feed me in some way, right? And, And I think we all grow up being spoon fed and being provided for. And at some point we are called to make the transition to providing for first ourselves and then our larger community and giving back and being of service. And that transition isn't sort of cut and dry, but you can see it. You can see it in a guy when he's, he's devoting his time, he's committed, he's giving back to his community. And in some ways it maybe it's a thankless thing. You know, I'm not sure if you're making money off this podcast, Jetty. I doubt it. And, but you're cranking out all of this energy and you're, you're putting out good vibes into the world and you're, you're sharing what you're learning and you're bringing people onto your show to teach and, and move humanity forward. Like that is a mark of someone who is in service to his community and, and the mark of a man. So that's, yeah, that's how oh, I, I appreciate it. you saying that, man. And, it, and what you shared about your distinction between a boy and a man, number one, I like that it, you said it's not a, it's not a definitive line that we cross. I think that there's initiations and rites of passage to mark intentionally a passage from boyhood into manhood, but really it is that transition. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a journey that we walk. And it made me think of the title of that book that Simon Sinek wrote, Leaders, Leaders Eat Last. I don't know if you're familiar with that, yeah. but just that, just that concept yep. that, you know, I believe a man will watch, you know, the women, the children, everyone in his family serve themselves and eat first. And then if he'll, he'll take for himself whatever's left. And then to me, that's always been a distinction of the difference between a boy and a man, or even just an adult and a child is that we're able to look out for the people around us before we have to look out for ourselves. And now I know that that's a difficult thing is to make it very personal. That's, that's, that's a difficult thing for me because we're born into this world looking out for our own survival. We're born into this world trying to take yeah. care of ourselves. And so what do you think is essential for anybody, especially a man, to be able to really make that transition to to, to really looking out for everybody else and not being so worried about where we're going to land? Because it's a leap of faith. I think a part of it is is safety, you know, and, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you're 20 years old and you're looking over your shoulder because you're afraid of being shot, you're in survival mode. You know, like if you're, if you're growing up in certain parts of Chicago or, you know, Chicago's the, the, the big epicenter. It's, it's sort of like the poster child for ghettoized neighborhoods gone wrong where everybody's killing each other. You know, if you're growing up there, it's very hard to step into service to your community when you're just trying to survive. Right. And that's just one example. I mean, there's tons of examples of people who have slipped through the cracks of the economic system and are stuck you know, trying to fend for their needs. Like Vancouver, we have a huge homeless issue here and the homelessness is, is, is paired with addiction and massive problem and tons of people dying from overdoses. And if you're in that place, it's very hard to, you can't initiate yourself into service to your community. So that's part of it. You need to feel a certain level of safety. Like our society needs to support a level of safety for people to feel like they can give back, right? So that's that's the first thing. And so, you know, on a micro scale inside your home, that's what's needed, right? In in a home, the the child and the teen needs to feel supported enough that he can sort of get 
standing on his own two feet and then have something to to give back. The next piece I feel is mentorship mm. and being shown the way, mm. right? If we don't know what it means to be in service to our community, if we don't see it around us, it's sort of in our immediate vicinity, we have nothing to model. And so it's a lot harder to find, I think. And so, you know, being in a time where we're really lacking in mentorship and lacking in mentors, lacking in elders, we have a lot of elderly people, but we have very few elders. And so did my dad's generation, to be honest. Mm. We're like a few generations deep into a lack of elderhood. It's, again, hard to step in to service to your community. So I would say those are the, the main two things you need is safety and, and leadership. Yeah. And, and when we're talking about safety too, it's not just physical safety, although that is probably mm -hmm. the first, right? You have to feel physically yeah. safe in your surroundings and your environment, but also emotional safety. This this the space where you can really fully express yourself and know that you're not going to be judged, ridiculed, chastised for your truth. And that's, yeah. I think that's at the heart of the, the, the men's work that we're involved in right now I always call it phase one. It's it's getting men <laughs> to say what they haven't told anybody in the world before because they haven't felt safe enough to do so. That's like yeah. that's like the price of admission. And then once we've created that context, there's a whole lot more we can do with the body, with being you know really really getting clear on how we want to be of service to the world. So I like that. Yeah, yeah phase one. Yeah, for sure. So so that so there's also that emotional safety. I want to also respond to what you said about elders because you're right. There are a lot of elderly folks and. Part of the work I do to, to allow myself to do this podcast is that I'm also a physio and it, it affords me the opportunity to work with a lot of elderly folks, a lot of people who are in that final season, final stage of life. And it's very, very sad, but also very eye-opening how many of those folks are, are dying without anybody who knows them or loves them around them. Nobody who knows their story, nobody who appreciates what they have to give. So there's a disconnect. Yes, we don't have the mentorship, but it's also because we've taken our mentors and we've institutionalized them. Yeah. And to me, that's a, that's a fundamental irregularity in, in a culture yeah. and a society. Jetty. Yeah. This, this sort of points to the biggest thing that, that frustrates me about this time and this society that, you know, Canadian society is so similar to us society. We have some differences, but our culture and the way that we deal with elders and the way we deal with men and the way we deal with women, it's like very, very tied together. What I'm so frustrated by is the fact that we are now more connected to each other than ever, so to speak, mm. <laughs> right? We are, we are more shoved into cities. You know, a hundred years ago, a certain percentage of people lived outside of cities. And now it's like a fraction of that. Like we're all living in cities. We're bunched together. Mm -hmm. We've got social media, we've got podcasts, you know, you're able to stream directly into people's brains as they walk around the city via cell towers. Like it, it, there, there's all this connection happening. We've got, we're using every freaking uh, wavelength of the spectrum to communicate with each other in, in every way. And yet, and you know, we've got social media and all of this, yet we're actually more disconnected than we've ever been mm -hmm. from each other as humans, you know, and we've, how we push elders into these old folks' homes and they, they, they're isolated and they live the last years of their life in many ways, super alone, is just one piece of this disconnection that it's just one symptom, mm. right? Like the, the addiction problem down in Vancouver on the Lower East Side here is yet another piece of that disconnection where people are so disconnected from themselves and from each other 
that we've got widespread addiction, we've got mass shootings, we've got huge amounts of depression and anxiety in our society. We're medicating the crap out of our children mm. to try to fix them. And we've never needed more therapy <laughs> yeah. as a group, as a population of people than we do right now. Right. You know? Right. And it's it's so contradictory, you know? Like we're so connected, yet we are so disconnected. Yeah. Even that word connected, it just seems like it's really lost its meaning. And I yeah. I spent some time on on the Native American reservations out here. And you look at the way that these folks, are, they, they stay together, partly out of need, but a necessity, mm-hmm. but also out of choice, you know, staying close to their to their grandparents and their great grandparents and the children help take care of the grandparents, either in the home or in the home right next door. And they're they're a part of that and they go and they listen to these stories and then the elders have a place to tell their story. So it, it's, it creates an, a virtuous cycle of that, of that mentorship. If we want to use the word mentorship or just legacy Mm -hmm. of passing from, from one stage of life to another, from one generation to the next. So, so obviously I think we, we could, we could talk all day about the benefits of that and how, how useful that is, but you mentioned addictions too. And I know that's an area of expertise that you have. You spoke a little bit about the problem it is in Vancouver and really everywhere. Because when we say addictions, we're talking about more than just substances now, right? Like when we were in health yeah. class, they wanted us to stay off drugs. Now we're talking about social yeah. media, pornography, sex, all of these different things that we can be addicted to. So let me ask, let me, let's, let's start here. What is the effect and the impact of addiction on our, our, our society of men right now? What is, what is the big impact that it's having on our men specifically? And then we could talk about how that blows out to the rest of the world? Wow, that's a huge question. Addiction is, if I hadn't already spoken about it, I would say this, that, that addiction is the symptom of the disconnection, right? And so in many ways, it's showing us what's wrong. And as a society, what we've been doing for the last hundred years is we actually demonize addiction. We make it, we make addiction wrong. We make the addict wrong. We throw the addict in jail. In your country and in my country right now, there are thousands of people in jail who had marijuana on them mm-hmm. when a cop pulled them over or whatever, you know, and they're serving large sentences for possession of a plant. And so we, we criminalize addiction, we, we can make it wrong. And, and all the people listening to this, you can think about like, what are your conceptions of an addict? How do you, what, when I say an addict, what do you see in your mind? Mm-hmm. And, and do you feel better than them? You know, there's this, this hierarchy and, and we don't treat addicts the way that we treat cancer patients, mm-hmm. right? Like when someone comes down with cancer, we're so sorry for them. Like, it's like they, there was nothing that they could do to have this happen to them. But the way I see humans and the way I see society as sort of like a big complex computer and the, the nuclear family as a, a programming center for a human, I don't see addicts as any more responsible for the programming they received than someone who came down with cancer and, and, and had a program in their body that where the wiring went faulty and they developed a tumor. Yeah. So there's this cycle that's occurring where we're demonizing addiction. We're looking at it as like something that doesn't deserve compassion and we're criminalizing it. And in that way, we're sort of like sweeping it under the rug and we're being like, oh, well, you know, those people need to go away anyways because they're sick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And but these people over here, we should give them care, and we should build these huge hospitals for cancer, mm-hmm. right? And it's this huge double standard that is only going to exacerbate the problem. So addiction 
itself, I would say is, is not so much a cause, but a symptom of, of where we're at. Yeah. So it's, I really like how you break that down because a lot of folks like medicine people, uh, you know, indigenous medicine people, they would look at addiction and they would look at cancer and they would call them both, both the same thing. They would call them a sick, a uh-huh. sickness, right? Something that, something that needs to get well. And they wouldn't really approach it as anything different. And that, so that's making me think about why do we hold that differently? Why, why do we hold them so differently? And when you said, what is your image in your mind of someone who's an addict? I know what everybody else is probably thinking. Because th- um, you're probably thinking just like me. You're thinking about the person with the long scraggly hair. It doesn't smell good. That's wearing, you know, like four coats. That's pushing around a shopping cart. It's tweaking out downtown that, you know, you kind of want to walk across the street to walk around. You know, that's, that is the image that... I'll speak for myself and I'm sure I speak for a lot of people though, that, that we've taken on and that has been pounded into us that these people it's, it's their fault simply because they're mm-hmm. choosing what they put into their body. If we talk about like sub people who are addicted to substances, but similarly, if it's video games or technology or, you know, Netflix, right. That's all. That's also that we're choosing to consume that versus like no one chooses cancer or do we? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Jetty, I think off the top of my head, the, the big thing that comes to mind about why we hold that double standard is that I think in our society, we have a mistaken belief about what free will is. We think, we think that every person has the will or has the freedom to choose whatever life they want. Mm-hmm. We think like just because there is the freedom inside the society to, you know, go from poor to rich or wounded to healed that anybody can just choose that at any moment. And that you're making your choices because that's what you want in your life. You're, you're drinking yourself to death because that's what you want. And so be it. I'm just going to let you do that. Right. And, and just going back to free will, like I really think we underestimate the power of our unconscious and the power of what it means to be programmed as a child and how powerful that programming is. It's stuff that we don't even recall, stuff that we don't even remember mm. experiencing, but we are experienced animals and we are programmed through what happens around us, especially in those formative years. And then when, as we get older and we start to be able to choose like, okay, I'm gonna reach and grab this cup of coffee and I'm gonna drink this. See, I'm a free choosing machine, <laughs> right? But it's way more complicated than that. And when you dig into psychology and you dig into personal growth work and you, and you do that for a long time, you start to see that the human machine is very much, going back to what I'm saying, like programmed and an automatic, like running on autopilot. Like I choose things based on what my experience in the past was and whether I had a good experience or a bad experience or whether I got what I wanted or needed uh-huh. or not. And so we think like, ah, everybody's choosing stuff. But the truth is, as I see it, that we are like 99% running an autopilot most of the time. And that what we really have influence over is like that last 1%. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that does allow us to change the direction of our lives. Like, like sure. I've, re- I've read and listened to so many stories of people who, who just drastically U-turned their lives based on you know, making a series of really intelligent choices for where they want to go. 
But I think all it takes to do that is the 1%. Mm. And who knows if I'm accurate with these percentages, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, even when I think of the conversation of what's actually in our control and what's not, when we speak external of ourselves, there's so much that's outside of our control. So that when we zoom in internally, there's still so much that's not within our control, right? We have these impulses, yeah. we have desires, we have a sex drive, right? We have um, dopamine receptors that want to fire off so we can feel good. There's, there's part of our chemistry and our biology that is not within our control. It's very reactive. It's like the reptilian you know, way of being that still lives within us. Yeah. So I, I don't know if it's 1%, whatever percent it is, there is, it's, it's, a, it's a fraction of what we actually choose to do. But you're right, we can really make a huge impact on our on our destiny, on, on our reality, by the the one percent of the choices that we make, and and just stacking a few really good decisions together can completely shift the trajectory of your life. I've seen that success story too many times to know that it's you know it, it's real. It can really happen. So so we talked about the problem. We 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 we, got, we talked a lot about the addiction problem. I'm interested in your take on the solution. And I don't know if we're just talking about substances here, or if you can speak even more generally about how to, how one overcomes an addiction. I don't know if you know from personal experience either. And I didn't even ask you that before we started, but uh, yeah, I do. I mean, for the listeners, Jetty and I, this is our first conversation. So we don't have a lot of background. <laughs> getting to know right? each so other in the cool. best way we can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is great. I went to, I grew up in a home that was safe in terms of my parents, like providing for us, but not really safe emotionally mm. because I had a brother who was three years older than me and was just a tormented guy and was always angry and like just blowing steam off. And, and I was the recipient of a lot of abusive behavior. I ended up in rehab at the same time as my brother at one point when I was 15 years old and he was 18. And I had basically followed in his footsteps all the way, (laughs) despite not wanting to, because I had seen how his behavior had hurt the family. But I was in so much pain that I ended up using cannabis and alcohol every day, basically mm. for a few years. And so I finished rehab and he didn't. And that's where we made the split. Basically, I started getting my life together and I went and finished high school. And I became an addictions counselor. So I, I do that now. I'm an addictions coach. I have a degree in addictions counseling and I've been doing it for about 15 years. And so, yeah. And is addiction about drugs, right? When we do when we do these little group sessions with young men, teaching them about what addiction is, we, we tell them right away, like, how many people have had sessions with adults where they tell you which drugs not to do, you know, and tell you how dangerous drugs are, right? Right. And they all put their hands up and we say, well, we're not going to tell you not to do drugs because addiction is way bigger than drugs, especially considering that we tend to favor certain drugs in our culture and some are like very appropriate and others aren't, mm-hmm. you know, and whether they're legal or not legal seems to have some kind of bearing on whether adults tell you that you can or can't use those things. Mm-hmm. And addiction has nothing to do with legal or not legal. Right. You know, addiction is going back to it, this disconnection from self and from others. Mm-hmm. So like what happens when you lock someone in a cage away from other people? They're in profound grief. Mm-hmm and sadness. And they will do anything to deal with that. So you hand them a drug that will make them feel good, or you hand them any kind of a physical experience that will feel good. You put a slot machine in a cage with someone and they will bang that thing all day long, right? Gambling? Sure. Sex? Yes. Right? Anything that produces pleasure in the brain, you can be addicted to. And 
your drug of choice, so to speak, whether that be a behavior or, or a actual substance, really just depends on like what special soup of neurochemicals you need in your brain in order to feel safe, connected, happy in the world. And so for some people, like there are connections that can be drawn where, where opiate addicts who who grew up in a very sort of cold, disconnected household where there was lots of like sexual abuse and trauma, they're often, those people a lot of times become opiate addicts because opiates feel like a warm hug, mm-hmm. right? And so their neurotransmitters are seeking opiates, right? Whereas someone else will choose something different. So what you choose in in many ways doesn't matter. What what becomes your addiction or someone's addiction doesn't really matter. It's it's what's behind the addiction that matters. Mm-hmm. So I just want to pause for a second because what you said there, I think, is really profound about when you you said when you lock someone in a cage, and I I, I think you meant that metaphorically. I think also literally, like if you put someone in prison, they're going to do whatever they can they can to get those pleasure centers firing. But yeah, metaphorically, even just being locked in a cage, being isolated, being emotionally detached from other people, disconnected from other people, going back to where we started in this conversation, it it makes so much sense that the brain will seek something to make it feel good. Otherwise, suicide, right? Because I I can't live this way anymore simply because I feel so disconnected and unhappy. And that's another thing too. I don't know if we want to get into that right now, but the reason why people ultimately choose suicide is because there's no way they can't find another way out of their grief. Mm -hmm. Drugs haven't worked. Sex hasn't worked. Cheating, stealing, lying hasn't worked. And so, and that's another thing that gets demonized too. Oh, that was the cowardly way out. That was the weak way out. But I I really can feel your and appreciate your perspective, how we're not making this person wrong. We're being willing to be more curious about what it is that they're up against. And if you haven't been addicted before, you really don't know. You really don't know what you're up against until you're in that space. So I, I like where this is going, man. And I want to I see what, what else you have to say about that. Suicide is completely related to all of this, right? It's what you're describing is like a trappedness. Mm-hmm. A person who is so trapped that they can't find a way out of their pain is suicidal. Mm-hmm. It equals suicide, right? Suicidal ideation. And that's what addiction is. And very uh, many, many addicts die by suicide mm-hmm. or intentional overdose. Mm-hmm. A lot of overdoses are probably intentional suicides, mm-hmm. right? So those statistics are murky between the two of them, right? And yeah, it's a way of being trapped in your own reward pathways and your need to escape pain. And so you do something that helps you escape the pain, but that thing induces shame and causes more consequence in your life. And then you do it again and you go in a downward spiral all the way down to the bottom of society, all the way down to the bottom of what your body and your brain can handle until you're ready to just call it quits. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's it. That's it. It's a trappedness. And what's the solution? First of all, people who want to know more about addiction need to look up two major authors, Dr. Gabor Mate, M-A-T-E, he works out of Vancouver here. Mm. He worked in the Lower East Side, actually, with addicts. And he's one of the top names in the world for being on the the, the leading edge of addiction recovery research. Mm-hmm. You've probably heard of him. And Johan Hari. Johan has two N's and an H-A-R-R-I. He was on the Joe Rogan Experience recently. And that guy has really been out there lately, writing books, going on podcasts, talking about the same thing I'm talking about this disconnection from ourselves and from each other being the root cause of suffering in the world. And so he's got a book called Lost Connections and he's got another one called Chasing the Scream. Mm. 
So check those guys out. The solution needs to involve all of us. Mm. What I do as an addictions coach or addictions counselor with my clients is when, when they come to me to do four sessions of coaching for a month, I work with them. I work with them on a mind level. I work with them to get their body healthy. We work through normal understanding of your addiction and what it is and and how to reach out for help and, and that kind of stuff. But my main objective with that person is always to connect them to their community, to connect them to a recovery community. And because I primarily work with men, I also have an agenda of connecting those guys to other good men in their place. Because mm. what's happened as a result of their addiction, you wanna, you wanna talk about how addiction has affected men, is it isolates them further, mm. right? It takes isolated men in an isolated culture and it pushes them into secrecy, yes. right? Because all the things that we do addictively, we're, we're ashamed of and we tend to hide it. We'll go and participate in, in our, our exploits with other addicts, right? But a lot of people end up in the end of their addiction, they end up using alone, they're drinking home alone, they're getting high home alone. They are masturbating home alone or they're, they're hiding their sex stuff yeah. alone. They're, and they end up in the casino alone, mm. right? Mm. And so the way forward recovery involves connecting people back to each other so that they can support each other and then and also connecting them back to themselves right so every rehab center in the world has therapy and all the stuff that helps people reconnect to their emotions because they've been just shutting that off for years yeah man and i i can't emphasize that enough because that's what i've seen work i mean that's what worked for me you know i I never found myself in rehab, but there was a good stretch of three years where I was smoking marijuana every day. I, I was just, I was high consecutively mm -hmm. for three years. Alcohol was never it for me, but I was highly addicted to that. And also nicotine, smoking cigarettes and, and weed. Just the, the pain of that space, remembering how, how alone I felt and how I was, I was always looking for somebody who could reach out and understand where I was and, and just give me that nudge to see, you know, do something different, but then retreating back into that hole because it was easier to be there. And I know that with some of these even more highly addictive substances that are even more chemical in nature, it becomes exponentially more difficult. And yeah, it adds another layer. Yeah. And the way, and the way back into self is finding, remembering who we are and, and also seeing that we can still be, we can still be valuable to, to people. We can still be of service once we get back on our feet. That was the biggest thing for me was realizing, Oh, despite how I feel about myself, I'm still valuable to the people around me. And it's hard mm -hmm. for somebody who's addicted or in a dark space or tied up in it to really see and appreciate that. Yeah, for sure, Jetty. Yeah, you're pointing something out that, that needs to be pounded home is that you cannot get clean from an, an addiction in isolation because mm -hmm. that isolation is the thing that keeps you locked in all of those patterns. And so a lot of people that come to see me, they want to just, they want me to be the one person that they're honest with hmm. and they're going to clean up their life behind closed doors, Yeah, right? Yep. They're just going to transform. <laughs> they're, they're in a cocoon and I'm in there with them, oh, right? Man, yes. And yeah, yeah. I'm like, listen, dude, it can't work that way. You need to go out there and you need to expose your addiction to other people. You need to expose your feelings to other people. You need to reach out and tell people you're struggling and learn to just say that, extend. And one of these guys that I've been working with he went to a meeting last night, really in the, he's, he's really in sort of like the bottom of his process right now. He's been clean for some time, but the pain has just been hitting him, which is normal. You take away the drug, you take away the process, the pain actually increases yeah. and it 
it hurts and it's something that you cannot bear on your own, which is why you need other people. He goes to a meeting last night and he reaches out and he says like, Hey guys, I just want you guys to know, like, I know I never speak at these meetings, but I'm really hurting. This is what I'm going through in my life. And I need a band of brothers. I need some new good people to support me because I can't do this on my own. And at the end of the meeting, he just gets flooded with people swarmed and he sends me a message. Yeah. And he's like, dude, there's all these people that like want to support me. And they're exactly the type of people that I need right now, you know, mm. and that's it, right? That is a microcosm of the solution. And so I send people to AA, I send people to men's groups and I tell them to drop their assumptions about what those places are about and let go of, let go of some of those things like the God thing, you mm-hmm. know, like you go to AA and it says God on the wall and you want to run mm-hmm. sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's not a religious program. It's a spiritual program and you find your own place within that. So that's it. That's the solution. Yeah. Like connect to each other. And, and what I hear you saying uh, underneath all of that, it goes back to what you mentioned before we started recording about broken families. What I, what I think these men's circles, men's groups, these communities are the void that they're filling is the absence of family that going back to what I said about native peoples, that that still has some strong roots to it. That the families are still yeah. strong, and there's so many families that are not strong. That even even within a family unit, like a married couple with the 2.5 kids in the house, right? That that are working just to make their lives work. It, it's it's so isolated. It's it's like the yeah. same thing as being an addict. You're we're addicted to that lifestyle, and we can't find our ways out. So this wave of personal development of men's circles, men's groups, all the work, whatever you want to call it is just recreating family in a, in a, in a mm-hmm. new context and in a little bit of a different way other than just by blood. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the thing. What I like to do is differentiate between family and village, mm-hmm. right? Because in a, in a village back in the day, 200 years ago, we all had little villages that we were living in, right? Mm-hmm. There weren't a lot of cities going on. And we did have our family in that village and the family was more connected than it is today. You know, we had grandparents in the house and that's one piece of it. And, and that's one piece of the connection and it's great. And we also had a, a village around us. And when a young man turned 15 or 16 or whatever it may be, he was swooped up and taken from his family by the other men in the village and initiated into manhood and given the things that he needs, the skills that he needs. He was given the challenges that he he needed to draw the man out of him that, that needed to come. And there was this village that served that function. And so that's another missing piece in the culture is like we see suburbia with all of these little houses and families in each house. And there's brokenness inside that house, like we've described. And there's an isolation of the generations and there's a disconnectedness because mom and dad are constantly working, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But there's also a disconnection between all of the homes. Mm. They're very loosely affiliated. And they, in many ways, you'll have these suburban neighborhoods where people barely even really know their neighbors. Then mm-hmm. they, they certainly don't know them in an intimate way where they, where they cross and, and co-care for each other's kids. And there's no village happening. Mm-hmm. And so... Mm-hmm. There's this thing that I've been talking about called villaging with my people here, which is you ne- we all need to build a village around us. And it takes, it kind of takes a village to build a village, but we all kind of have to hold that vision mm. of well, we need, actually, you need more than just your core group. You need this sort of like second tier and possibly a third tier of support in your life, you know? And so when Shalina and I got married in June, we had our, our sort of second tier village 
We had our family there, but we also had the village around us supporting our marriage and holding us up. And that is another thing that is not talked about nearly enough and, and, and something that needs to become normal, like building, building your own village. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is something that I can speak to. That's because from the time I was 17 years old is when I met my two of my best friends in the world. We met in college. We were just knuckleheads back then. We didn't know anything about what we were doing or yeah. what it meant to be men. But there was one thing we always talked about was raising our kids together. And so as time went on and we went through our journeys and we really grew up together through our twenties, we held on to that vision that one day when we have kids, we'll raise them together. We'll figure out a way to do it. You know, back then we used to think we'd invite everybody and we'd all live on one piece of land and tents and huts and stuff. And obviously that's yeah. changed as now we're, we're all married and to real women <laughs> who, who yeah. have different needs and different <laughs> ideas of what that could look like. Yeah, And, yeah, and yet yeah. we've all spent time living on the same property under the same roof for large part of the past five years. And it's not easy to do that. Like you said, it takes a village to build a village. It takes that common vision, something that you're really united around. It goes all the way back to your definition, the distinction between a boy and a man, really being able to take care of the people around you and trust that they're going to take care of you too. That's a huge leap that we have to make. And I'm talking about six people that I trust more than anybody else on this planet. And we were living under one roof and, and we were challenged by that to be that selfless, to be that aware of each other. So just as to, to juxtapose that, how difficult that is for any of us to, to shift that way of being, if that's not what we're used to, it really takes that commitment. It takes that shared vision and a desire to have that because the fruits of it are so rich. And I do believe that it is yeah. the healing that we all need, not just for our addictions, but for our disconnectedness in general. And it truly is an undertaking and something that should not be taken on lightly. You can't just move into the same house and expect that things are going to work out hunky dory. Cause that's just not the oh, way it yeah. is. It's hard. Like all of this stuff that you and I are talking about is hard. It's harder to build a village. It's harder to rewire the programming around family. It's harder to do your inner work in the short run than it is to just let everything be the way it is. Mm -hmm. Right? Like we have a lot of ease in our society and we outsource a lot of stuff. We go to the doctor, tell him, tell him what's going wrong with us. He gives us a pill. We go home, we take the pill. That's way harder than going somewhere where someone's going to ask us very intelligent questions about how we might be shaping our own reality in our lives. Like, what, oh, what about this choice over here? What about this over here? And, and someone who says like, hey, let's dig around in your past and find out what stuff has occurred that's making you that's influencing your choices these days. And let's dig up some of those old wounds so that they can lose their grip mm. over you. Yeah. That is hard, man. Mm. And people don't want to do that. And so my soapbox lately is like, we got to learn how to step up and do the work mm -hmm. and dig into this stuff and build our village, change our inner landscape understand our unconscious at a deeper level because we're all kind of floating around on the surface mm. and do that work because that is what's going to reconnect us to ourselves and to each other. And there's no magic bullet here. There's not going to be a government policy that, that comes into place that helps people connect more to themselves and to each other. It's, it's for me, I'm saying like everybody needs to just get into community and start doing their work, join a men's group, uh, start leaning on each other more. Yeah, like what you're saying, like learning to trust people. That's so hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
especially because yeah. especially because you know you, I look at life on like on the medicine wheel, moving through the different seasons of life. We raise children to be self sufficient, to take care of their basic needs, and unless there is that mentorship or that guidance from elders that says now you're ready to take care of your people, you learned how to take care of yourself. Now you can take care of your people. Then we get stuck, we get log jammed in this adolescent bottleneck. And I think that's what's happened. That's why I'm so big on rites of passage and really marking that, that, that transition across the threshold from boyhood to manhood, because otherwise we don't know when we're supposed to start taking care of other people more than ourselves. We don't get that unless we're fortunate enough to have parents, uncles, aunties, elders that show us that way. Yeah, you got it, man. Yeah, like, I mean, earlier when you were talking about initiation and rites of passage and marks of adulthood, I was thinking to myself, if you're lucky, you get ones that you recognize in your life, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because the marks are so gray for most people. Mm. If you're lucky, you get an initiation ceremony or or something where someone says like hey this is this is adulthood you know or something that feels like adulthood and i think in some ways like guys have their first time having sex or they get their first car and they think like wow this must mean i'm an adult now but it doesn't quite feel what that way mm-hmm. you know but i think the biggest one that we cannot fight is the birth of a child mm-hmm. right when that child shows up you're like whoa okay yep. Now I have a human life to take care of. Yeah. Right. And it, it sort of forces you into the, you're like, okay, I'm, I'm a real adult now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. And, and I'm a man who's experienced everything you just described. I experienced being initiated by the world without knowing it. I experienced mm-hmm. going out on a vision quest and marking that threshold for myself and the birth of my first child. And I will tell you that I've told this story on here before. There was a cellular shift that happened to me the, the moment that I first laid eyes on my son. When, when, I, when I first laid eyes on him, I was frozen. I was stunned. And I could literally, it, it felt like my DNA did a 180 and turned around and faced mm. the other way. Because in that moment, I recognized that my life is not just for me anymore. It's really for this little man. More so than when I, when I promised my, my life and my commitment to my, to my wife. You know, it was, it was a deeper level. Children do that to you. <laughs> At least that's happened to me. And I've talked to other parents that have experienced something similar. It's like, whoa, everything really changed. And you can, you can remember that crystalline moment. It's like, I'm not the same person I was before he came out. Yeah. It's hard to even remember who that guy was anymore. And I still, it's not to say <laughs> that I don't think of myself and I don't have selfish tendencies. And, you know, I, I think I, I still have moments where I'm like, ah, yeah, I wasn't really thinking about everybody else around me there, but the overall context for my life, if we're taking the average of it all, is about not my, my children. It's about other people's children. I even walk around and I, I started to treat other people's kids like they're mine too. Not like I want to take yeah. them home with me, but what would I do for my son if he was here right now? Especially like a yeah. boy who's who's like a little misguided or you know feeling a little left out. What would I do for my son? And mm-hmm. I really think that like what we're talking about, about family, about village, that that's what's possible. I think it's what we all want in our hearts. We just don't know how. We don't. I, I don't. I. I'm, I'm figuring it out as I go. I'm sure you're doing the same thing with the guidance you're getting. But if we're all willing to be in that space of curiosity and not knowing together, then we can really do it. We've got everything we need. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. We're all just like trying to figure our way out of some of this stuff together, and it's very hard to change years of of a certain type of programming and. I don't even want to demonize the programming that we all have because it all serves a purpose. Right. You know, like my, when my grandpa was, was my age, everybody was just fighting for their lives in many ways. Mm-hmm. 
the industrial revolution was on and and men were expected to work 60-hour work weeks and women were expected to be a certain fill a certain role at home and and everybody was just sort of it really was survival mode you know and things are starting to change now and we have a, a lot more freedom to to change our programming as a as a people and as a culture and yeah so for me i just see myself leaning on on people who i feel like are leading the way you know and so i'm listening to tim ferris i'm listening to joe rogan i'm listening to the rising man podcast i'm doing the evolving man podcast i'm i'm reading johan hari i'm reading Gabor Mate and I'm, I'm reading Warren Farrell. Guys, if, if, if you want to know what's up with boys, read The Boy Crisis by Warren Farrell and John Gray. Really comprehensive, thick text on what's going on with, with boys. Yeah. And, and yeah, just it's trying to edge my 1%, right? Yep. Just take that, that piece of my will and put it in the right place. Like, I don't want to carry the message that just because I think that humans are 99% programmed and that we generally have way less free will than you would think that I don't believe in human nature and, or the ability to change or, or that I'm telling you that you should just like cash in your chips and, and give up on life because that's not what I do as an addictions coach. Mm -hmm. I actually do the opposite and try to get people (laughs) out of the mess they're in and, and get them feeling better and healthy. And, and I, in my own life, and I'm I'm an example of that. But it's about these small choices every day in the right direction, yeah. you know? So like, guys, stick with Jetty. Like, <laughs> you're on the right track, man. And and people, the, you are the product of the top five people that you spend your time with or listening to, you know? Mm. And so like the messages that you're carrying, man, are you probably don't realize the scale of the impact. Yeah, so. True, truly, man. And I, and I thank you for saying that. And I think that that's, that's just a good reminder that we're all walking our, walking our path, man. And, and the, best, the best thing that we can do for the world is to be our best selves, I believe. It's been great to get to know you in this conversation. I, I actually like to, I prefer doing it this way. I know a lot of people who do podcasts, they do a bunch of research on everybody. I, I do enough to find out like what you're about, but I like to get to know somebody by going, going in here. And, and so I really appreciate that, man. You really strike me as somebody who's very genuinely in service and there aren't many men that I come across on the daily who I really feel are coming from that space. You know, we've all, we've all got wounded stuff in our past, but I can really, I really feel your heart, man. And I thank you for bringing that here and and in the work that you're doing up there in Vancouver and everywhere else that your reach touches. Thanks, man. Yeah. I, I look forward to the tendrils connecting, you know, like we've got, I know you've got something big going on down there. If you're organizing a Haka with a hundred guys, like you're, <laughs> I, if that was happening any later in the year, I would have booked a ticket to come down and just hang out with you and do that. <laughs> it's really cool that you're up, that you're doing that. And, and I know there's a group of good men down there that you're hanging out with. And yeah, we've got big stuff happening here in Vancouver too. You know, we've got this thing called the Samurai Brotherhood. It started less than four years ago and we, it's, it's men's group that meets on a weekly basis, squads of between 10 and 15 guys. And we've got a code, the code of the conscious warrior that we follow. We've got a website, samuraibrotherhood.com. It's really simple work, man. Yeah, it's, it's what you described, like guys coming together, high level of commitment, a high level of confidentiality, disclosure. We go deep together. We don't just get together and talk about business or drink beer and talk about sports. Like we bypass all of that stuff and shove it off to the side and we go deep and we talk about how's your life actually doing? What are you struggling with right now? 
And how can the men support you? And how can we use the code to teach each other how to be conscious warriors and warriors of the light, you know, and we're growing like there's like 13 squads in Vancouver right now. And there's a bunch of squads in other cities speckled around Canada. And I started the online division, which we're calling Ronin, Mm, Ronin squads. There's four of them that we've started this year. Like the first one started in January and it's like, it's just exploding. And that's just going to continue spreading. And we're going to spread all over the place and drop Samurai Brothers all over North America. And then we're going to spread around the world and just make men's work normal. I want men's work and, and just men being together and being connected with each other and, and having this like kind of conscious brotherhood. I want that to be as normal as yoga. Yeah. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, man. I'm, I'm all with you on that, dude. I, and I really respect and appreciate your mission, everything you guys are creating and doing because there are there's about you know three billion plus men on this planet so there's there's a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of us who needs more spaces like that but, but yeah. before we wrap up I'm gonna ask you to share a little bit more specifics about links and where people can follow you get you know check out the podcast but mm-hmm. let me ask you a couple of closing questions what is one thing that you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18 or maybe even when you were 15 maybe when you went into rehab whichever one feels more yeah. poignant to you you know I think the biggest thing is like at 15, I really felt like life was all about me and I felt really lost and I felt like I couldn't get out of where I was at. And now looking back, I'm like, wow, my life is way bigger than I thought. Mm. My impact is way bigger than I ever thought it would be. I think that that could have actually drew me in this direction, than this place that I'm at now, even faster and with 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 more power, like knowing that my impact would be what it is now, you know, yeah. just, uh, just in the people around me, just in my inner community, not, never mind any of the like larger Instagram website podcast stuff. Right. Your life's not about you. Like that's kind of been one of my biggest lessons. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I love that, man. Closely related to that, but different. What do you think is the most important value to have as a man? Mm. Having to choose one is very difficult. <laughs> the first code of the conscious warrior is make your word good. Mm. And to me, that's a huge one. I don't, my word isn't always good. I'm not perfect. I do lack integrity sometimes. I do not say what I'm feeling when my wife asks me because I'm defensive. Mm-hmm. I do make, I break my commitments sometimes. But this code of making your word good and going back and fixing the things that need to be fixed, there's something to make your word good that's also about like, improve, improve yourself. Like don't just slash the tires when you haven't made your word good, go back and make it good. Right. And you know, for me, honesty, integrity, and constant self-improvement, that's all kind of encompassed in make your word good. So yeah, just off the top of my head, I would say that's, that might be my favorite. I like what you did there. I like what you did there. You took one and then you kind of like melted into a couple, but it brought it all back to one. (laughs) Good stuff, man. Um, yeah. Last but not least, man, how uh, where would you like to direct people to to follow you to get to know you, the work with you, Samurai Brotherhood, all that? Awesome, yeah. I've got a podcast called the Evolving Man Podcast. Right now, I'm releasing about one episode per month, but I'm going to increase the increase the rate. I've got a website, EvolvingMan.ca, where people can read some of my articles, book coaching sessions with me, or stream my podcast directly from the site. And so that includes men's work and addictions work. Those are the two main things that I do. And I'm developing an addictions program and an addictions retreat 
uh, in the fall that awesome. I'm going to do probably on a yearly basis. I definitely want to know more about that because I've, I've actually had a lot of people asking for who, like, who's the specialist in this? And I haven't had somebody like that who, who's also connected to the men's work too. So we'll make sure we put that up there for you. Great, man. Yeah, let's stay connected. And I'm happy to come on the show again. The other thing is, so that's that's my brand. That's Evolving Man stuff. And Samurai Brotherhood is more of like a labor of love and a nonprofit SamuraiBrotherhood.com. It was started by my teacher, Phil Tirtha Mistelberger, a wise man uh, who I've had on the show a couple times. And so that's the website. And we have Instagram handles for both Samurai Brotherhood mm-hmm. and at Evolving Man. My wife has a brand for women called Rising Woman. Nice. And it's perfect yeah. for Rising Man, right? <laughs> you've, you've got in contact with yep, her. Yep. And the, it's like blowing up. Like Shalina is, Shalina and Heather are doing fantastic work with Rising Woman. So mm-hmm. for the ladies, check out Rising Woman and then you'll be plugged into the, to the larger network. Ah, that's good stuff, man. And I'll, I'll say it here so that everybody can hear it. We're going we're gonna to bring Leon up to Vancouver and we'll organize a Hakka event up there, man. We'll make it happen. You and me will figure out the logistics of it, but that's got to happen. Um, it w- it yeah. would have been great to have you down here for this one in September, but I know how it is, man. So we'll, we'll bring it up to you. We'll come up to Canada because that's yeah. a big part of his mission too. He wants, that's his medicine he wants to bring and share with men all around the world. So Amazing, dude. The guys up here are on fire for this. And every few months it comes up like, why aren't we learning a haka? Like the guys just, they, they have that energy, you know? So we got a few hundred men up here who are just ready for you. So let's do it, man. I'm stoked. Awesome, man. Awesome. Cool. Well, again, bro, great to get to know you in this conversation. Thank you for bringing everything that you did. I, I truly, man, I learned a lot and I'm looking forward to reading more of the things you put out, especially about addiction and really respect your perspective, man. So you just keep doing that good work up there and we'll bring you on the, we'll bring you back on further down the road and circle back and have another digital cup of coffee. Awesome. Thanks, Jetty. Yeah, you got it, bro. This episode was huge for me. Speaking to somebody who has such a wealth of experience and knowledge around addictions and addictive behaviors, I just thought was incredibly, incredibly powerful because so many of us have addictions. We are addicted to our devices. We're addicted to substances. We're addicted to sex. We're addicted to experiences, television, media, Facebook, whatever you want to call it. We all have our addictions and our vices. And there's so much shame tied to these addictions because we make them to be bad when in reality we're all walking around with different challenges that we're going through so instead of shaming and blaming and making things bad and using ineffective ways of reconditioning ourselves choosing to speak about it and creating platforms and spaces where we can verbalize our challenges and to people who really understand and who really get it and can empathize and also still provide strategies and ways to pull ourselves out of these patterns is just incredibly transformative and effective. And I really love the way that Ben shared that on the show today. For any of you guys who are looking for somebody to work with that you want to try and overcome some of the addictions that you do have in your life, definitely recommend you guys follow and hook up with Ben because he's doing some incredible work out there. So make sure you guys look him up, check out the Evolving Man podcast and all the good work that he's doing with the Samurai Brotherhood. Really just a a genuine, genuine guy. And uh, so, yeah, definitely check out Ben. If you didn't hear it at the top of the show, I'm going to say it again. I want y'all to come out for our Call of the Warrior event here September 7th in Los Angeles. We're going to be down on the Santa Monica Beach. 
and then eventually walking over to the Santa Monica Pier to perform the haka together as a huge, huge collection of men. You're not going to want to miss it, so go get your tickets right now at rise.jediazuma.com slash warrior. It's going to be lit, so make sure you come and join us. Please check out the show notes for any links and resources pertinent to this episode. I know Ben mentioned a couple of books, a couple of resources in this episode today, so they'll definitely be up there in the show notes. You can go to the risingmanpodcast.com. My man Julian Subic making sure all of those references and resources are up there for you each and every week, every episode. Thanks for what you do, Jay. Please subscribe and follow us on the podcast app of your choice, wherever you're listening to podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. Give us a follow. Give us a subscribe. Hit the subscribe button. Give us a five-star rating if you believe we deserve it because it really helps to amplify the energy around the podcast. And it does help us to stand out in the charts, which is really impactful towards getting more guests to show up for the show and more men to listen to what we have to say. So if you believe in the rising man please do your part by leaving those reviews and those ratings we really appreciate it check us out on instagram at rising man podcast my man rowan time hooking it up as always thank you for what you do my brother sean offenbach over at infinite melodics big shout out to you brother appreciate everything you've been doing man we are on 144 episodes in now Woo, crazy thank you for what you're doing man you've been you've had your fingerprints on each and every one so just keep up the good work brother really appreciate you and last but not least my man mark rose holding down the rising man fire circle making sure all of our men inside of that space i think we're over 20 now all of them taken care of i really appreciate everything you're doing mark and for those of you guys who want to become a member of the rising man fire circle you want to take that first step towards getting some more accountability some more support some more open ears and open hearts from other men who really get it who are really committed to showing up who are really committed to being the best version of themselves, go sign up. Become a part of the Rising Man Fire Circle. The link to sign up is patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Rising Man. $33 a month, you get to be on two calls a month with us, part of our private Facebook group and access to me at all times to ask me questions and a whole bunch of other content and opportunities. So go sign up if you want to be a part of that. My man Mark will hook you up with all the information. We've got our next call coming up this Saturday, August 24th from 3 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So sign up now so you can get on that call and into the community. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.